In this episode of Flying Smarter, I'm talking about ensuring that you know your baggage allowance so that you don't encounter any surprise fees at the airport. Then, airline ramp agent and fellow podcaster Tyler Crook joins me to give us a look at life on the airport ramp. Welcome to episode 47 of Flying Smarter, the podcast that explores the fascinating world of air travel to help you become a smarter and savvier traveler. We're now approaching the 50th episode of Flying Smarter, which is going to be published in December of this year, and I've got some interesting things planned, including the opportunity to win some prizes. To make sure that you don't miss anything, be sure to subscribe to Flying Smarter wherever you listen to podcasts and to follow us on social media. Links to all our accounts can be found in the episode description. Now, let's get started with today's episode. How do I check my baggage allowance and make sure I won't have to pay any extra fees? Your baggage allowance varies depending on what airline you're flying, what type of ticket you bought, and where you're going. With all these factors in play, it's important to know exactly what you're able to bring in order to avoid any surprises at the airport. Airlines will charge fees if you've exceeded your allowance by either number of bags, weight, or size, so it's a good idea to make sure that you know what your allowances are. While there are some general rules that you can expect, like being allowed to check at least one bag for free on Trans-Pacific flights, there is so much variation between airline baggage allowances these days. For example, a basic economy fare on Delta or American includes one personal item that goes under the seat in front of you and one carry-on bag that goes in the overhead bin. However, a basic economy fare on United only includes the personal item that goes under the seat in front of you. There are exceptions to this as well though, such as if you have status or hold certain credit cards. And then when it comes to baggage size, there are different rules as well. If you look at the minimum allowable height of a carry-on bag, for example, Frontier allows bags up to 24 inches tall. Spirit Airlines and the Big 3, American, Delta, and United only allow bags of up to 22 inches tall. So just because your carry-on is okay on one airline or fits in the sizer for one airline doesn't mean that that will be the case on another airline. The best source of information for the baggage allowance that is specific to your trip is from the airline itself. Quite often, the airline will include the specific allowance or a link to the relevant information on their website in your booking confirmation. Airlines have comprehensive web pages with information about carry-on and check baggage allowances for various situations. And some airlines even have a tool to allow you to check the allowance for your specific itinerary. It's a good idea to note the number of bags you can bring, the size restrictions, which normally include the wheels and handles, and what the fees are if you're going to go over the restrictions. If you have a soft-shelled bag, keep in mind that if you're going to stuff it to its brim, it's going to likely increase in size compared to when it was empty. What you want to avoid is getting to the airport and then finding out that your bag was too big, too heavy, or that you brought too many bags and you end up having to pay fees. If you do have to pay excess bag fees and have the option to do so before arriving at the airport, it's generally cheaper to do so in advance. Airlines will often offer extra bags to you when you buy your ticket or when you check in online, and they tend to offer you a better deal than their prices at the check-in counter. When it was most common to check in in person, airline agents tended to have a bit of leeway if your bag was a bit too heavy, but with automated bag drops these days, they're a bit less forgiving. Of course, your slightly oversized carry-on bag may make it into the plane without any issues, 
but it's not uncommon these days to see gate agents asking passengers to put their bags in the sizers at the gate. Therefore, by knowing what your allowances are and then making sure that your bags are within them, you can avoid nasty surprises and added stress at the airport. For more tips and advice about your baggage, stay tuned for my chat with Ramp Agent Tyler Crook in the main segment of this episode. Did you know that airlines are legally required to show you how to use the seatbelt? If you've ever thought that airlines demonstrating the use of a device as simple as a seatbelt was a bit silly, you're probably not alone. It is indeed an easy thing to do that most children can probably figure out without much difficulty. But airlines don't demonstrate the use of the seatbelt because they have questions about your intelligence. Instead, they're legally required to do so by government regulators. In the United States, for example, the Federal Aviation Administration requires airlines to brief passengers on how to fasten, tighten, and undo their seatbelts. They are also required to advise passengers that seatbelts should be worn low and tight and that they have to be fastened when the fastened seatbelt light is on. Tyler Crook has worked on the ramp for a major U.S. airline for over 15 years. He's one of the co-hosts of Non-Rev Lounge, an airline employee travel and aviation podcast. In addition to being a ramp worker, he is an avid traveler and an aviation photographer. Now, I've mentioned Non-Rev Lounge a few times before on this podcast, and I'm a regular listener, so I'm super excited to have Tyler here. Tyler, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be on. I've been listening to your show for a long time. Yeah, so when you look out on the ramp as a passenger, either when you're sitting in your plane or you're in the terminal, it feels like there's so much that goes on out there. And now I know it kind of varies by airline and airport and contractor or employer, but can you tell me a bit about some of the roles and the tasks that you guys have when you're working on the ramp? Yeah, that's funny because that's kind of how I explain it often too, is when you, kind of, when you look out the window of the airplane, almost everything you see is kind of what we do. There's are a few things like the fuelers that we don't do, but as far as moving the bags, loading the planes... Um, bringing them in, like marshalling them in and out. So we kind of do all that. So as you think about, you check your bag in at the ticket counter, how many people actually touch it. And it's kind of gross how many hands are on your bag. But you think about like <laughs> from from the ticket counter agent, the bag room goes down through TSA to the bag room, put gun on a cart, and then it goes out of the gate and three or four more agents or, or ramp agents touch it there. And then on the offloading, so yeah, wherever those bags get touched, that's that's what I do. So of all the tasks that you guys do, do you have like a uh, like a favorite? Yeah, so my favorite is just like well, for us because I'm in a hub, we connect the bags. There's a we have a lot of connecting flights. So a flight comes in from Seattle to Phoenix, where I'm at. Some are going here, but a lot of them are going somewhere else. They're going to Mexico. They're going to LA to anywhere, and so I will meet the flight get all the bags that I've assigned could be 30, 40 bags in this group. I and mean, it could be a whole bunch of different destinations. And then I'll go to each plane and drop off those bags. And I enjoy that because I get a tug, I get to drive around. So it's not confined. I'm also not, it's not as hard work because I'm not like on my knees sweating. So that's my preferred or the bag room, but I kind of like that one where you're driving around and delivering bags. That's my, my favorite thing. That's actually pretty cool. I don't know if it gets old, but I feel like as an aviation geek, the ability to kind of drive around and look at everything and be outside would be would be cool. Yeah. So one of the other things that I've been curious about is when uh, when a plane comes in, you guys get a certain amount of time to turn it around. Uh, what does that look like? So it depends on the size of the plane, what our airline says, like how long we have. Of course, like the wide bodies are going to need more time. 
just get that many more passengers off and back on the adding the fuel, the cleaning, all that stuff that goes into turning a wide body compared to like a 319 that only has 120 some seats. So those smaller ones, will they'll say like 35 minutes to 40 minutes and then a little bit longer for even like the 321 or 757, just because it's just more, more cargo and bags to come off and then go back on. But yeah, usually it's about that where the wide bodies may be an hour and a half. And do you find the amount of time they give you is reasonable or do you guys find it's a challenge to, to meet it? It's usually reasonable. And, and now they'll give us more if, if it's going to be like a, a quick turn because it came in a little bit late. They if the company can, they'll make sure we have extra help on that that we wouldn't normally have. So we have an extra couple of people working to do our part. But it's still even if we can get the whole plane turned in 20 minutes upstairs getting the passers on and off they probably can't do it that fast so it's a it's a whole dance of the whole airline no it's our part we can do um pretty quick and hopefully we can get some more help Uh, i never realized that it actually took longer longer upstairs but i guess there's more factors going on upstairs than there are downstairs i guess yeah there's some of those like the big wide bodies Mm -hmm. there's a lot more cleaning that goes involved so it's not just a quick like southwest off and on real quick you've got to go through a bigger process but yeah yeah no fair enough that uh that makes sense now on the ramp when you look out at the plane sometimes it looks like they're like super super close to each other when you're moving the planes around when they're either coming in or coming out like what do you guys have in place to make sure that you know most of the time at least none, none of the aircraft hit each other or nothing runs into each other yeah our airline i feel like a lot of the, the big ones are, have so many policies that even when planes do each other, I'm like, how does that happen? Because we have the, the the person pushing the plane in the the tug, so it's hooked up, and they're put, and then we have to have a walker, a wing walker, they call them, under each wing. So whenever I see a video that they didn't have one, I'm like, what are they doing? Because yeah, that's our policy is we have to have someone watching that wing every time, and also watching the back, make sure you know no one's driving behind us, you're not pushing back into something else. But yeah, so we always have those those walkers what we call them wing walkers that have the wands that we can signal to driver to stop if he starts getting close we've been pretty safe in my hub but yeah you see them and you're just like i know we just have so many policies to make sure that those don't happen the wing walkers those are like if you're sitting as a passenger you look out the window those are the guys who walk near the wing and they usually have two orange lights or sticks or are those, those are the wing walkers right yeah usually if you see videos of them because they're dancing okay. but yeah that's the those ones are that's how we signal that um it's planes moving so if someone's driving they can see like it's another signal to them and also we can like cross up the wands to let the driver of the push dog pushing the plane know like okay you got to stop because there's something in the way so and does the driver talk to the pilots as well like is there any sort of mechanism for that yeah, so the driver, the person pushing the plane will have a headset on and he'll be connected. So if you kind of watch closely after you're done, that's one of the things they unhook is that, well, sometimes there's a cord that goes all the way up into it. And sometimes nowadays that has a thing we hook up into it, but it's like a Bluetooth to that thing. But either way, we have to unhook that once the, the pilot gives us the clear and um, the brake, brakes are released, we're unhooked completely. So yeah, the the pilot's telling him, okay, we're good. Like they're communicating the whole way of where we're going, how you're going to push, because there may be different depending on where you're pushing from to to make sure there's the tails the right way and you're on the right taxiway. So yeah, there's a lot of communication there. I kind of see what you mean by 
when you say you're kind of surprised when that actually does happen though because if there's so much going on and so much in place i mean i guess things things go wrong but uh, yeah all right so a few more parts of the job that i thought might be interesting to talk about um do you guys service the lavatories yeah so that's part of what we do it's was interesting because that's a super high seniority position for us because they can sit in an air-conditioned truck where in phoenix it can get very hot and so they can sit in the truck and they just i mean you back up to the truck you have to hook up the hose and then you pull the lever and it dumps it out and then you re you put some uh we call blue juice i'm not sure if that's industry-wide but it's this if you flush the toilet in a lab you'll see the blue and it's kind of like a, a soapy a chemical stuff that kind of keeps it clean and goes through so when we put that back on so yeah for us it's super high senior i actually held because we do our bids i held a couple of years ago i was i held a, a line where i was trained and did it so and it is easy i mean it's it, you're not on your knees like the older guys that you know been there for years and they have bad knees and bad backs from throwing bags they can do that and but you just have to worry about you don't connect the hose just right and then if that comes undone, you're getting crap all over you. So we have a whole, you're supposed to wear like a whole covered apron, you know, to cover you and yeah. a face mask and gloves. Yeah. So there is a, a risk and reward. So you may not have to be throwing bags, but you're, yeah. you always have to be very careful that you do it right. Otherwise you will regret it. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's why I was curious about it, Alan. I didn't realize it was a high seniority position. I, I kind of thought it'd be the undesirable one, but uh now that you mentioned that it, if it's not actually that much, if it's if you do it right, if it's not actually that hard of a job, then uh, then that kind of makes sense. Yeah, I think it's pretty pretty easy. That's why we got new trucks, so I'm not currently trained on our new trucks as I was the old one. So I, I'm not I can't work that now unless I get retrained. But it it was easy, and it's even easier now with the nicer trucks. I think you had we like we have de-icing in Phoenix, which seems surprising because like twice a year we have a 5 a.m. flight that gets some ice on there some frost on the wings but those people that do those in you know denver minneapolis canada over there i think those go super high seniority too because they're sitting in the new trucks have like a box you're in and so it's it's not out in the elements as much either so i think i've heard that the those de-icing are pretty high seniority too my only impression of lav servicing was years ago. Um, There's this TV show, Under Undercover Boss. Okay. Um, and they had they did an episode. So the idea, the idea of the show is the, the the CEO or you know some high up in the company dresses up uh, with the guise of being a documentary and works a bunch of frontline jobs and whatnot. And so they had him on the frontier, and he goes and services the lav. And I don't remember if it was the blue juice or the the lavatory contents, but something went spraying. And so ever since I saw that, I was like, this must be the worst job. But apparently not. So. I think as long as you don't get, as long as you don't get dumped on, then it's not a bad job. I think uh, my co-host Lara, mm -hmm. she talked about because when she first started years ago, she worked all the different jobs mm -hmm. back with the old America West, and something had came out, so she looked down and she had some toilet paper on her shoe. So I'm like, yeah, just yeah. She's like, oh, this is bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, another interesting job that I thought uh, maybe we can talk about is, um, and actually we talked about it a little bit. So like pushing the tug, I've always imagined that it either, I don't know if it gets old, but it's either really cool or it feels like a huge responsibility to, to be moving this giant chunk of metal that, you know, super expensive chunk of metal that flies. Um, I'm curious to hear, hear what that's like. That's why I've never done the wide bodies and, and I don't do it that often because I'm, I usually do like the other jobs where I'm not on, like on those teams that bringing in and 
but I think once you get used to it, it's, it, it is nerve wracking at first doing anything. Cause you know how expensive that airplane is even just pulling the tug up to the side the the, the bell loader and on the 319s, you're only a couple feet from that engine. So when you're backing up, you know, if you turn your wheel the wrong way, you're going to slam into that engine. So over the first couple of years, I was very nervous about it. And it's, it's the same thing with the push tug. You know, you're you're pushing out these big planes that if you do something wrong, but also they have ways that the bars will, the pins that will break before you break the plane. So they have a lot of things, but mm-hmm. it is nerve wracking. But once you get too used to it, that's it's no big deal. It's just something they do over and over every day. It's just... Do you guys also... You guys have a maintenance facility in Phoenix, right? Yeah, yeah, because we're a hub, so we yeah. have one there. Are you guys also the ones who tow the planes around the airport? You no, know, so we have teams that that's all they do. That's okay. We have a couple mm-hmm. of groups of like four um, employees, and that's all. They, they'll move planes for the whole shift. They get trained on the special parts because they'll actually be driving out in the, the city area where... Because we have our area that we can do whatever in. Mm-hmm. But once we go that into like the taxiway, it's not just from like the ramp area, but that then you're covered by the city and they have to approve you to go in there. Mm-hmm. So they're trained on to talking to the, not just like our local tower, our what that does like our airline, but does the whole city that get approval to, you know, go into those. So that's more training. And, and but yeah, we have those too. Some of our maintenance moves planes, but we also have, people that that's their job that the same as me but that's what they bid and they do gotcha another okay. another high seniority because you're not on your knees you're yeah. just pulling planes around all day yeah no fair enough and especially with the heat that's i, I assume there's some sort of appeal there's an appeal yeah. to that eh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah um okay wh- one more job that i thought might be uh, might be interesting or not job, but thing that you guys do um, driving around the airport, right? So when it, whether it's the tugs or the, the carts or whatever, like how does that kind of work, right? It's not like there's streets and, you know, lights and things like that. So what's it like uh, driving around the airport? Well, that's what there, there's not really streets, but there are places that we can drive that are like, there's stop signs out there. And if you don't follow those, you can get a ticket just as much, or you can get pulled over and get in trouble. You can get your badge taken away. So we, we still have places that we, we can drive and we still have to follow the rules. We can't be driving crazy. So there's still certain things like that, but we have to go through and, and pass a driving test to get a certain thing on our badge saying that we're allowed to, because just everyone that has a, like a badge to be on the ramp may not be qualified to drive. Yeah. That's just part of what we have to get trained to do and, and be qualified through the city, through our, the badging system to be able to drive around. And that's, like I said, I, that's my favorite thing is to be able to have a tug, especially since I like to take pictures of airplanes I have the freedom if it's some special liveries coming in, I can go chase it down between flights and take a picture from where I want to. And with that, we we pretty much have the ability to go all over the airport. We just have to stay like in the roads. We can't just like, we can't cross, like I said before, those taxiways without the city. But there's some, there'll be a road that crosses at a certain place as long as we stop at the stop signs and the airplane's not crossing in front of us, we, we can cross there. So we have the ability to go quite a bit. And I assume airplanes always take priority over vehicles. Is that correct? Yeah, they have that priority. So we're always waiting for them. Sometimes you'll be waiting like a busy time. They'll be just keep coming and coming and you just kind of have to hang out and watch, which is fun for me. I like to watch planes. So I was going to say, I mean, unless you're in a rush to be anywhere, that's that's not all that bad all the time. eh? Yeah. All right. So you guys handle a lot of baggage and some cargo as well. And uh, I imagine that you guys sometimes get some unusual or interesting things that uh, that you guys see do you have anything particularly memorable when it comes to baggage or cargo that you've seen over the years 
I was trying to think. I maybe it's just because we see so the same stuff a lot that it's not too memorable. I, I know, like on our podcast this last week, we had an agent in Hawaii that the, one of the containers that got crushed, and so uh, and it had a bunch of live eels on it. So there was eels all over the ramp. I don't know if I've seen. I know I've. I personally have checked some stuff that would be weird. I checked a microwave in a garbage bag. Okay. I was up at my, my parents' house in Utah, and my dad had an old one he was going to get rid of, and I was a single guy with without one. And I said, well, I'll take it. I'll ch- just check it, and, and if it gets home, great. If it doesn't, that was we're, we're getting rid of it anyway. So I, I'm sure whoever got that piece of luggage was like, who checks the microwave? <laughs> but I did that. People check weird stuff, but I, I know that seeing because we ship a lot of um human remains people that have passed away and i know one day i did a, a boston fight they had three of them three people and then i did a boston fight later the day so a second one they had another three and i was like where was there a family that like had a what was but yeah that's very common we, we ship a lot of people that have passed away so and i think did you mention on your podcast that you also work the the cash trucks too yeah, so we see those now that they'll pull the armored trucks up right up to the belt loader and and they'll load up the planes in these containers of um it's money, it's uh, US dollars, mm-hmm. but I don't know what how much it is. They were heavy though. Each one was probably 70 pounds and I think there was probably 60 of them. That's like I doubt I kind of I, I jumped in the bin to do it because I I wanted to do it one time and kind of see what it looked like in there. And afterwards, I was like, I'm never doing that again. That was a hard workout because then they weren't like the luggage has good handles and they didn't. So yeah. but it, it made me think like how much money was on that plane? It was yeah. it was a lot probably. Yeah. It, it was more than like single like mm-hmm. dollar bills. If it was even fives or 20s or hundreds, that's that was a lot of money. I was like, even if it's even if it's ones, you probably held more cash in your hands than most people ever have in their, yeah. in their life. If you had a, if you had a even if you had a 70 pound box of just one dollar bills. Like I, don't, I couldn't imagine how much that is. Yeah, there's a lot anyway, of money on the plane. Yeah. Now, do you have any pet peeves or any things that you uh, don't like about your job? I think one thing that people don't realize, because everyone, and I think I'm probably a little guilty of it too, is they put more stuff in a bag than it, the bag can hold, and so we end up ripping handles off because a bag is not made to hold. 50 pounds. I know you can, for us, we can put 50 pounds in the layer lines allow it, mm-hmm. but it's really only made to hold like 30 pounds. So when we lift it up, it's ripping and then people get mad. So, or else they, it's like, they put so much in, you know, they're, you're sitting on your suitcase thing and zipping it up. So it hits something and that zipper doesn't hold and your clothes are going to be everywhere. And so that, that's kind of one of the pet peeves. Um, and also I would just tell people, cause one of the jobs we have, I didn't mention this, but it's, as if it's a very small one, it's a office where the bags that don't make the flight, they bring them to the office and, and they're the ones that figure out, okay, where does it go? I mean, maybe they were rerouted. So they were able to pull the bag off. There's a lot of reasons that a bag could come there and their job is to get it to you as quickly as possible. But sometimes the luggage tag comes off or there's no name attached. And so we have to dig through your stuff. And if you don't have your name on it, then we're not going to know who it is. I mean, sometimes we find someone's medicine and we can see their name on it and then we can look up the manifest and be like, okay, mm-hmm. we're, but if we, sometimes we don't even know what plane it goes to. I mean, so it, inside your luggage, I would put your information. A lot of times people will, will borrow a suitcase from a friend, someone else. 
So, and it has like a written name on it, but that doesn't match the person that's flying. So we don't know who it is. I mean, so just because I would, I would tell people to make sure your name is on the outside of your bag, somewhere extra, and then even somewhere inside your bag. So worst case, if they have to go through your stuff, you're going to get it back because as long as we can find out whose it is, but uh, those are kind of, and then the other one is I have kids and I see people that don't put their car seats. You had someone recently talking about babies. People don't put their car seats in a bag and it's disgusting. Like I talk about how many people touch bags and when I'm in the bin in the summer in Phoenix, it's 115. I am dripping sweat, like Mm -hmm. nasty sweat all over people's bags. I don't mean to. Mm-hmm. but you can't not and it's going on the ground and they're sliding these car seats people love their babies they take care of them yeah but then they don't put their bag in a 20 dollar amazon bag to, to protect it i did i don't understand that yeah no that that's really good and especially the uh the bag tag one i mean if you have a tag and then you have the like the luggage tag and you have your own tag and your handle comes off yeah, then it's, yeah. it's off. That's why you need something inside, right? Yeah. Yeah, and we don't like we don't mean to break suitcases, but if and sometimes it happens. Sometimes even the the one from the airline comes off. It's it's sticky, mm-hmm. but especially if it gets wet because it rains a lot. I mean, if you mm-hmm. break places, then those don't stick very well, and it's off. And now we just have a black or a purple bag with no information, and we can't do what we we want to get you the bag. We want we don't. So and also people that. You know, people will check a backpack and they'll put like a shoe in the side thing where like a water bottle goes, but it's not in there. It's like, and then they they lose it. Then they get mad. And it's well, you, you, I mean, like I said, that bag goes through so much, so many belts to get to the next, if if it falls out, then we don't even know which one it came out of. We're like, here's a, or or worse is like, here's a pair of car keys that came out of somewhere. Yeah. We don't know where we, so I feel like you put something in the water bottle slot. You turn the bag upside down. And but it's out. Yeah. It comes out, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Tyler Cook is a ramp agent for a major airline in the United States. He has over a decade and a half of experience in the industry and is also one of the hosts of Non-Rev Lounge, a travel and aviation podcast. Despite his name, it's not just for airline employees and it's on the list of podcasts that I personally listen to and enjoy on a weekly basis. You can find Non-Rev Lounge wherever you listen to podcasts and you can also find both Tyler and the podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Tyler's Instagram is also where you can find his aviation photography, and of course, I'll include links to all those in the episode description. Well, thanks so much for being here, Tyler. It's a lot of fun. I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. That brings us to the end of episode 47 of Flying Smarter. Like I mentioned at the beginning, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform and to follow us on social media so that you don't miss what we have in store for a 50th episode. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you again soon. Music